Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a Wednesday. News Radio 1070 WKOK. Back at Trillo, back in with you, filling in for Sean Carey. He has the day off. He'll be back in later on this week. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. You can follow the show on Twitter at Steve Jones PSU. We're at the Steve Jones Show on Facebook and also SteveJonesShow.com for the latest Penn State sports news and notes and as well as our podcast as well. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google Play, or iTunes. Email the show, Show at WKOK.com. We want to hear from you as well on the phone lines, 1-800-795-9565. And definitely a, a lot to talk about, as always, here today. But first couple of guests we have coming on today at 335, we'll have Todd Sadowski, the Fox 43 in York, the sports director down there. He was actually at Beth Page Black yesterday for a PGA Championship practice round, of course, the PGA Championship taking place this weekend. So he will join us with that perspective at 335 today. And, of course, the NBA draft lottery took place last night. The New Orleans Pelicans, only a 6% chance to get the number one overall pick. And, yes, they get it. The teams that had the chance, the best chance, the 14% chance, was the New York Knicks. They got the number three pick. And the Phoenix Suns also had the four, had a 14% chance. They have the number five pick. The Lakers are end up being at number four. And the 76ers have the number 24 pick in this year's draft. So in order to react to that, we bring in Shane Young, NBA writer for ClutchPoints.com. He'll talk about the draft lottery and the conference finals. So that'll be at 435 later on today. Also hitting the sports headlines today, the New York Jets, once again, it looks like that they were finally moving in the right direction. All the pieces that they brought in from free agency had a pretty good draft. And then... All of a sudden, they're back to, I think, being once again just laughed at around the league. And a stunning move today, they're fired the general manager, Mike McGagnon, and their head coach, Adam Gase, will now be the interim general manager while immediate search will begin for a replacement, as CEO Christopher Johnson said in a statement today. And just once again, there's this narrative going along here in the NFL where teams have just been firing general managers after the NFL draft, which just makes zero sense to me. You talk about a, a weekend full of franchise-changing decisions, and you let this guy make those decisions. He brings in all these free agents, spending all this money, and he also brought in your now franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold from last year, and now you're firing him. It just it makes zero sense to me. And, and also, too, bringing in Adam Gase I thought was a mistake on their part as head coach, let alone their interim general manager. So, I, I, once again, I just don't understand where the Jets are going with this. And, of course, this hurts, one, the Philadelphia Eagles, 
because their executive Joe Douglas, he's the vice president of play, of player personnel, and he's been an integral part. I mean, a very, very big piece to the Eagles' success, especially winning the Super Bowl two years ago. And he's one of the front runners for the job, and that would be a huge loss for the Eagles. I think it would go down as one of their their bigger losses they've ever had in that front office. Because not only do you lose a guy in Joe Douglas, who is obviously well-respected in the Atlanta League, I think he's the best personnel man in executive in the NFL right now. Then you have his assistant, Andy Weidel. They kind of work together, so he they would go to the Jets, too. And there's other draft scouts that work under him that would probably leave the Eagles, too. So that would be a major loss for the Eagles if that does happen. But then also into the mix, too, is... Daniel Jeremiah, who is now the lead draft analyst for NFL Network, taking over for Mike Mayock, who, of course, now is the new GM for the Raiders, is also up for a serious consideration for the GM spot, which is just interesting because now you have NFL Network just turning in GMs left and right, producing GMs left and right. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on for sure. But once again, the, the Jets are just making everybody's head scratch around the NFL with this move once again. That just makes zero sense after all those nice moves that they made during the offseason. And so we will definitely be getting into that uh, hopefully a little bit later on too. Again, give us a call, 1-800-795-9565. This and other topics as well, as Steve will join us soon from the Sunbury Motors studio. And we'll take a quick break, and Steve will join us coming up next here on the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. I am on with Matty Ice. That's what we call Catrillo now. He's not Matty Ice. Calm, cool, collected. That's you. I'm always ready. You are, as a matter of fact. You know, you want to know why the suit won his award this year for play by play? Because he knew you were ready, and so he thought, I better be on my game. <laughs> I better be on my game. That little motivation, Matt, I guess. Matty Ice is in the building. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, my good friend, Todd Sadowski. You know, people will see you do a TV show, for example, or they'll hear you do a radio show. I think people always wonder when they hear us or watch us, you know, are they friends off the air? You know, now Matt wouldn't claim me as one, but I mean it's just uh, it's just the way you are, man. You know. But I but I think of you as a friend. Well, thank you, and I do in fact think of no. you as a friend. No, so Maddie and I get along great. Sean and I, I mean, best of buddies. Okay. Well, the same thing with Todd Sadowski. Now Todd Sadowski is one of those individuals that if you don't like Todd Sadowski as a person. You just don't like people. He's about as nice a guy and as good at his job. I mean, you always want to work with people to make you better. When I'm doing the TV stuff, we do the Blue White Tailgate show together, and uh, you know, over the years we've had Trey Bauer there. Now it's uh, now it's Jay Paterno. But I've learned so much as being around Todd because he's just he's so smooth when it comes to how he handles the on-air stuff. Well, he also is a fabulous golfer. And uh, I played I played golf with Todd before. I've had a great time. In fact, we don't play golf often, often enough as far as I'm concerned. It's just a lot of fun. Well, he went to the PGA Championship, and uh, he's at the practice rounds at Bethpage Black 
We're going to have him on in the next half hour. Steve Bornstein is going to join us to talk about the Preakness Stakes. Yes, they're still running it this week. <laughs> well, Dick Girardi on Friday. But we'll have Steve Bornstein on to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the NBA in the final half hour with a guest. Uh, coming up on Monday, we're going to have Colorado basketball coach Tad Boyle on. You're saying to yourself, why are you having Colorado's basketball coach on? What does that have to do with anything? Well, the reason we're having Tad Boyle on the show is quite simple. I have talked about on this show many times, and we, you try to do things in, in such a way where you've, you are um, trying to keep the audience ahead of the game. Okay? And part of us trying to keep the audience ahead of the game is I've talked many times that this is the year of the... Uh, basketball rule change. Tad Boyle, and the last time I talked to Tad was in Las Vegas um, three years ago. It's probably the last time I talked to Tad. Uh, about as nice a guy as you're ever going to run into. He's the chairman of the Basketball Rules Committee. That's why he's going to be on the show Monday. So we'll have him on. Okay. So that's what we have coming up. Uplifting athletes. The uh, Lift for Life. For the first time ever is going to be on a Friday. Friday, July 12th at Haluba Hall. Doors will open at 430 the suggested donation is $10 for adults. $5 is the suggested donation for kids. All proceeds from the Lift for Life will benefit the rare disease community. We're also going to have a kids' clinic from 5.30 to 6.30. More than 80 football squad members are expected to participate in Lift for Life. And... The president for the 2019 season is Sean Clifford. Of course he is. <laughs> uh, other officers include a long snapper Chris Stahl. He's the vice president. Defensive tackle Evan Presta is the treasurer. Offensive lineman Mike Miranda, director of operations. Safety Justin Neff, director of player logistics. Long snapper Joe Calcagno is the secretary. Penn State's been the number one group when it comes to selling, excuse me, to uh, Live for Life donations across the country. Number one. So it's going to be on Friday, July 12th. That is the week, by the way, of the Arts Festival. You know, when I think of the Arts Festival here in our area, there's two of those, People's Choice, and there's the Central Pennsylvania Festival of the Arts. I always think of the suit when it comes to the Arts Festival. You want to know in what way, Matty Ice? And why is that? 
Stick figures are considered art, too. All right. So. <laughs> well, you know what? That's about all I can draw, too. So. <laughs> Don't look at me. I was kidding around with my grandchildren the other day. Right, they were drawing something. It was actually really good. They said, yeah, you, Grandpa, you draw something. I drew a stick figure with a smile on its face. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's about what I can do. I'm with you. <laughs> well, uh, the draft lottery, and we'll talk about this with a guest in the final half hour today, ends up with New Orleans. Now, what does New Orleans do? Do they draft Zion Williamson and then try to keep Anthony Davis with the idea of telling Davis, hey, look, now we've got you. We've got Zion Williamson, and we got Drew Holiday. We think we can make this work. David Griffin, who is the executive vice president for the Pelicans, Alvin Gentry, the head coach, can they convince Anthony Davis they can make this trio work? That's critical. Or do they try to convince him in a different way? trade the number one overall pick to get an established player to go with Davis. Knicks fans are saying, hey, yeah, that'd be great. We can still get... No, you can't. You don't have the player that they want. Or do you trade Davis and build around Zion Williamson? Those are the options. But they got the first overall pick last night. Memphis got the second overall pick. You feel like it's between R.J. Barrett and John Morant for that pick. The Combine is in Chicago now. This is the Combine time. Williamson, that's why the draft lottery is in Chicago. The Combine is now the G League Elite Camp, I think is wrapping up now. But a guy like Williamson, for example, he is not going to play in any of the of the combine scrimmages. He's not easy, he, but he's there to do the measurables. Six eight, you know, maybe maybe run, jump, something. But he's not doing anything else. No way. Same thing with Barrett. Same thing with Morant. In fact, Morant Morant turned down the combine. He said, "No, I'm not going to go. It's not even going to go." Then you get Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Jared Culver. Those are the top guys. But, yeah, they had that last night. And the Knicks had a 14% chance of getting the first overall pick. Now, you never hear anybody mention this part. I haven't heard anybody mention this part. That also means you have an 86% chance of not getting it. <laughs> right? It's valid, yeah. S- same goes to the... Um... Uh, to Phoenix, who got the five pick? Yeah, they got the fifth pick. They you now they had an eighty-six percent chance of not getting it. The Lakers got the fourth pick. I'm sitting there, Memphis and New Orleans. As the last two picks, I'm thinking, well, if anybody thinks this is rigged, <laughs> this totally disproves it. Yeah, I was under that uh, narrative, but. That definitely proves it when you have New York and L.A. that didn't even have a three shot. And, they ended up three and four. It was Memphis and it was New Orleans. Wow. 
Now, if New Orleans goes the route of drafting Zion at number one and keep that pick, yep. they may have to deal with him maybe not being totally on board because it seems like he didn't like that the Knicks didn't get the number one overall pick last night. I think he had his eyes set on the Big Apple, and now he might be heading to the Big Easy, and I'm not sure if he's uh, so easily ready for that. Well, that's one he's going to have to talk over with mom and dad, especially mom. He's going to talk to mom about that one, because guess what? You know what New Orleans does do? Uh, they pay. <laughs> they they pay cash. Exactly. <laughs> and guess what? Zion Williamson will be able to get marketing deals. His marketing deals are all going to be national. Believe me, you can get them in New Orleans. Last I te- checked, Drew Brees is on a lot of commercials, isn't he? Yeah, I don't where understand he, that. I mean, where, where, this does, is, where does he play? Yeah, he plays in New Orleans, and this is why, again, what I hate about the NBA, Steve, is if you're New York, if you're not New York or LA or Boston or Chicago, you're nothing. That's what is just the stinks about this league. Well, let's let's think let's think this through for a moment. Who, who has at least some deals? Giannis does with the Bucks. Exactly. He's, he's with Milwaukee. He has national deals. Dwayne Wade does. He's with Miami. They used to be on the cuff until what, when he was playing with LeBron, but now they're off the cuff again because that's a fair-weather fan base down there. Well, True. <laughs> But I mean, he's let's doing be commercials real. right now. He's doing commercials right now with Gabrielle Union, his wife. Yes. I have seen those. Well, last I checked, those were national, and he's not playing for New York or L.A. All right. Todd Sadowski, next half hour. Thanks for joining us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. And today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Very pleased to be joined. By someone I consider to be my good friend. He may have a different opinion. Todd Sadowski. Todd, how are you? <laughs> Mid-May, are you going through withdrawal, Steve? You just had to talk to me today, huh? Absolutely. You want to know why? Because I knew it would torture you. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling is mutual, my friend. My good friend, Steve. Yes, and I, and I, and I have a... A hunch you're going to want to talk a little golf today. Yes, we are. I want, to, I want to ask you, Beth, the heart and soul, and maybe you don't agree with this, but I think the heart and soul of what golf is today are municipal golf courses. That's where people can get out, play the game, get into it. It grows the game. You are at one of the premier municipal golf courses in this country, like Chambers Bay, Torrey Pines, whatever. What is it like for you to be on that property to see what they've done with it in the last 25 years? Well, it's tremendous, and, and I agree with you. I'm a guy myself, learned on a, a college course, and could kind of, you know, at that young age, you're trying to walk on and avoid paying the fee, and you get busted, you know, and they, they hit you for the 15 <laughs> bucks for nine holes, which seemed like a lot of money back then. But 
you know, yeah, you learn the game, you just play it, and you have a good time. And, and Beth Page just takes it to another level. And of course, it's a state park. There are other courses other than the Black Horse, but the Black Horse is the the measuring stick. And you know, you have the famous sign that's right there. This is an extreme course. You know, difficult conditions. You know, for only the top golfers and and the world's best are. You know, in New York this week to tackle Beth Page, and it starts right away on hole number one. That's a downhill par four. It's a beautiful, you know, beautiful layout, and it's it starts you know it starts getting you right away. The thing to remember about it though this year is it's a PGA Championship. This isn't the USGA that's come in and set this course up, and right. the USGA are, are, are you know traditionally sadists. You know, they want to grow that rough, huge, yeah. shrink the fairways. These guys are going to be able to pull the driver out, and let it fly. Uh, they do want to let it fly, but at the same time, what kind? because of the rain, and I know, that, I know to their credit it drains very, very well there, but what has the rain done to somebody that might be the medium-range hitter? Well, I mean, look, it's thickened everything up for sure. Um, you know, it depends kind of how the forecast goes the rest of the week if it's going to dry out a little bit more i don't expect any roll really for for most of the week i mean the way that it rain has already softened the course um you know it's a big hitters course and so you know you're going to look at the guys that have a little bit more length but also the talent to beat the kind of golfers that are in the field for the guys that are medium range hitters and and less uh, you know, th- there's just no room for error because the guys that are the bomb and gouge guys, you know, they just hit it as far as they can, and if they can get a clean look out of the out of the fringe, you know, out of the rough, you know, they're going to be getting it on the green and and have an advantage when you can go in a green with a nine iron as compared to a five or a six iron. Okay, so then who has the advantage in your opinion, and uh, who's gone through play practice rounds that you could just tell in the press conference they've got a, some level of comfort with it. Are we at the point where we're going to respect Brooks Kepka yet? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> right? We have I mean, to. And I don't mean you you. I mean everyone. I mean the guys, the two-time defending U.S. Open champ, so he can win under the most difficult conditions on the most difficult courses, and he's a defending PGA champ. So, you know, this is a guy that he's right there along with Tiger and the odds, you know, ten to one at the top of the list. Um, you know, DJ Dustin Johnson's got the kind of got the the physical and the mental makeup to to be able to win a PGA Championship like this at Beth Page. A couple of guys that I look at: um, Tony Finau, a lot of length, a lot of talent, a yeah. lot of ability. Um, you know, he's right there. If you're looking for non-American players, John Rahm is a guy that can really hit yeah. the ball a long ways, and he has a ton of talent. I could potentially see him winning. Um, this is one of those events, right? The PGA is kind of, it's usually Glory's last shot. It's kind of this year, other than Tiger, their second chance for a first major. So it's weird right. to see it in the second place in the in the calendar of four majors. Um, but it's usually that major where someone that's a little bit more unknown pops out and wins one, you know, hence the Rich Beam or one of those types of guys. So I could see a John Rahm getting his first. Um, Bryson DeChambeau and, and Xander Shoffley have been playing extremely well. They're both in the top ten in the world ranking. So, you know, those are probably two names to look for as well. Tiger Woods, though, is doing something that is even rare for him. He's going from major to major. Uh, yeah. And that's been the placement of the calendars there. But his last tournament was the Masters. Has that been a discussion point? Yeah, well, definitely. And, and it's funny because you still kind of shake your head and go, did Tiger just do that? You know what I mean? It's just, did he yeah, just no. win the Masters again after so long? And, and he finally got number 15. Um, you know, it's it's different but so is he though steve you know i mean he's a different golfer he's a different 
person as far as how he has to handle himself physically. Um, I'm not sure he, you know, his calendar was always built around the majors, but even more so now. I mean, he cares even less about the PGA Tour events than, than he did before, and that's not to say he does not care about them. It's just his focus and his preparation is strictly around the majors and those, you know, and, and those layouts. He was at that page last week. Um, on Monday, it was interesting because we, we got out there as early as we could, battling the rain and getting the shuttle and getting out there. Tiger played only nine holes. and we, we missed them. We were out at like 12, I think, as we were trying to catch up when we heard, oh, no, a helicopter swooped down, picked him up, and got him <laughs> out of there. <laughs> got him out of there because nine doesn't come back to the clubhouse. And we're like, ah, we just missed them. But, you know, so everything, even his transportation, is, is, <laughs> is definitely prepared. So I think he'll be ready to go. Uh, I don't think he's the kind of golfer, though, that, you know, you know, he just won the Masters, right, the first time he'd ever come from behind to win. I don't think he can right. get too far behind, though. I think he's really going to need to start well uh, first and second round and keep himself in contention. You've uh, covered U.S. Opens before. You and I have covered U.S. Opens together before. Uh, you talked about this is not a U.S. Open setup. What are some of the subtle differences you think between – what Mike Davis does with the USGA compared to what the PGA is doing with this course? Well, most notably is is the width of the fairways. You know, I mean, he, he likes to even up the playing field as far as, you know, taking the driver out of a lot of guys' hands and, and utilizing every club in the bag. Not that the PGA won't do that or Beth Page won't do that. It's just I think these guys will be able to take out the old number one and let it go more so than they would at a U.S. Open. Um you know, as you know, green speeds will, will be a little bit slower. You know, the USGA, I mean, some of those courses they play, you know, the greens are the only defense or the number one defense for what is happening. So, you know, you see all those moments in the past at a U.S. Open where a guy just barely rolls it past the hole and it doesn't stop and it goes all the way down to maybe a shaved down area. You're not going to see quite as much of that. You're still going to see plenty of breaks and still, you know, still plenty of fast putts. Uh, but not quite as much. So I think the numbers, the scores are going to be a little bit lower at Beth Page, certainly than they were at the U.S. Open when it was held there. Right. Uh, you mentioned earlier Glory's last shot. Well, now this is the first year of the new calendar. They played the players in March, then the Masters. Now this is the first time it's been placed in May. Any read from the players as to how they feel about the placement of the tournament? I think most of them are fine with it. I think they like it. You know, if you think about the old calendar, you had the Masters in April, and then you waited until the next major in mid-June, and then you had July and August. So there was that one month in between. And remember, the Players' Championship kept kept bouncing back and forth between March and May right. to try and right. fill in that calendar, and, and wanted to dub itself the fifth major. And it is probably the fifth most important event. But I think this sets up really nicely where you've got one month in between every one of the majors. And so as a player, you have a little bit more of a rigid, structured schedule to know, okay, I got a, I got a major if I don't do well or do well, whatever, I got another event, maybe a second one, and then boom, a week off and a two-week period to prepare for that major. And for the guys that like to play prior to the event, it keeps them fresh and keeps them playing for the ones that get that one week off they like that as well. So I think it's been received fairly well, especially also because the PGA usually was that mid-August slot. Man, it was roasting. Yeah. Even, you know, they played out yeah. Midwest or whatever, and it was really tough physically. Obviously, the temperature's a lot cooler, a little bit easier to deal with uh, this week, certainly in New York. Yeah, as Rory McElroy said, he says, yeah, Southern Hills in Tulsa. 
He says it's, <laughs> in August is not exactly inviting. Uh, no, and he, no, it he's is right not. about that. All right, I I'm going to guess now. Let me if Callista walked this course, he would tell us <laughs> in no uncertain terms he could conquer it. <laughs> he cannot conquer this course. There's no way. <laughs> well, you no and I way. know that. I'm saying what he would say. <laughs> yeah, he would tell you that. But uh, no, he he wouldn't. He'd barely make it to 18. I think he'd be on his knees, dragging himself across the finish line. <laughs> well, well, at Oakmont, he at he he actually put his ball into the church pews at Oakmont, and went yeah. from pew to pew to pew. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. Yeah, but I had a chance to play Shinnecock with him last year. So he he saw most of that course too, saw most of that course. Yeah, yeah. It's, when they give you the yardage book, it doesn't mean you have to go like the, the width of the yardage. Okay, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> it's, that's it's actually correct. from T to he, green. He, you don't have to do that. He, but yeah, but he it does tell out all you, the hazards. But it does tell you there's a reality though to the question, and that is it does tell everybody how great number one sixty is in the field. You know, not just what number one is, but how great 160 is in the field. Yeah, no no doubt. And, look, I've seen and covered a lot of events on the tour just below, which used to be called the right. Nike Tour, the Nationwide right. Tour, whatever, the Buy.com Tour. And, you know, right. all those guys that play on that tour have the same shots that the guys on the PGA Tour have. And a bunch of them bounce up and down. It's the putter. The, the putter is the difference between the PGA Tour pros that are consistent and the star players and the short game compared to the guys that are just next level. And so when you mention that guy that's at 160 or a guy that maybe comes out of kind of somewhat out of nowhere to win, it's because mm-hmm. they're putting lights out. I'm going to throw Dustin Johnson obviously is a name that fits what you're talking about here, but I'm going to throw another name out here that may not be a household name, but you and I both know he's played really well in the last couple of years on the majors. Xander Shoffley. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I wish he would have been taken for the Ryder Cup team last year. You know, Jim Fury yeah, me too. kind of was dealt, dealt a raw hand as far as he, he was kind of forced to pick a couple of guys. And then a couple of guys that were big hitters were playing a little bit better at the end, and he ended up picking them. Because you know, the Europeans set up that course for a tight uh, accurate players and Xander Shoffley is is that, and I think he's you know as I mentioned before, he's in the top ten in the world rankings for a reason. He is he's he's a good player, and he could definitely come out of uh, come come out of this with the PGA Championship holding that Wanamaker at the end of the day on Sunday. There's also another thing that when you cover these, you find out now not all the personalities are the same, but you actually do find that when you deal with a McElroy, you deal with a Fowler, you deal with a Jason Day, whatever, you're actually dealing with actually guys that are really good interviews and open people who kind of roll with how the press room goes. I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, the guys in this tour are actually, for the most part, pretty easy to deal with. Yeah, it, and, and it's it's funny because I think this happens with most events too, Steve, as you've experienced with baseball and football and you know, just like anything, I think of the tour and I think the events, they kind of figure out what works for the players and the formats that work yes. for them. And so you get them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you get them for a good length of time, and they'll talk with you. And then you figure out 
you know, there's got to be a little bit of a cooling off period. You know, instead of just grabbing them right off the green or whatever, you give them a few minutes and then they come to the media room. But, yeah, most of them want to talk about what they did on the course. They'll give you a lot of what they were thinking on this shot or that shot. Um, you know, occasionally you'll have the ones that are still boiling over from a round or maybe a late mistake. Those are usually the interviews. Yeah. Somebody makes a mistake on 17 or 18 that you know, they get a little gruff with you. But, yeah, for the most part, these are good guys. They, you know, they, they know this is an important week. They can compartmentalize what they need to focus on and, uh, and yet still enjoy themselves when they're out there. One final question. Do you get any impression, Todd, as to what – because, look, the U.S. Open it, it was just played at Shinnecock – Obviously, uh, it's been at Baltus Roll, it's been at Wingfoot, it's been at Bethpage. Any thought from the players on the quote the New York crowd and how they react to golf compared to other places? Well, uh, and there's, there's, like, there's no doubt that it's just a different vibe when when you're up there, and you know you know if you're going to be in contention, you know if you're playing with Tiger, you know all those types of things. As soon as you make contact, I mean, imagine that, right? It's like kind of when you play tennis as soon as you hit the serve it's supposed to be quiet and then you hit the serve and it goes crazy at the u.s open tennis match right uh, yes same thing at the same thing at the golf event as soon as you make contact that crowd is going to react to it and it's going to be as loud as you've heard in any place that you go and so you're going to be you're going to hear the cheers you're going to hear a few jeers so you just better be prepared for it and roll with it and it will eliminate some people there's no doubt about it there are some people that are a little bit softer shells than others and it will eliminate them probably on a Saturday or a Sunday um, but the ones that, and that's why I look at a guy like Kepka you know he just got that cool exterior doesn't look like any environment really bothers him you know anybody that wins the U.S. Open back to back that is a tough dude as far as mental yeah. toughness and playing golf and so it won't surprise me to see him in contention and again and the last name right. I'll mention he's a top 25 player and he's had a lot of talent for a long time Steve is a guy named Gary Woodland He's, oh, yes. he's one of those guys too. He, he that can hit it a break long out way. And win a PGA Championship. He he's due for one good week at a major at some point in his career. And he can hit it a mile. I mean, yes. Gary yep. and, and Gary Woodland when he's playing well, actually has a very good short game to go with how far he hits it. But it's his short game that determines the week he has. Yep, yep. And so I look at him as one of those dark horses. Yeah. Well, appreciate memory. It eliminated Sergio Garcia, I think, on this course a few years ago in terms of the crowd getting to him. You know, he, yeah. he kept, he kept regrouping the club, and the New York crowd wouldn't let him forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely a unique place, for sure. Hey, Todd, it's always great to hear you, my friend. We'll work together soon. I'd rather get out and play a round of golf with you. All right, let's do it before we get back to work, okay? Sounds great, my friend. Thanks, Todd. All right. All right, take care now. Uh, the great Todd Sadowski. Great to have him on the show. We'll come back more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. On Friday, he'll be wearing a white jacket, he'll be spinning it above his head, he'll then throw it to the crowd. He'll then throw his index finger into the air. Yes. Our version of Saturday Night Fever. The suit will be on the show. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that, but now this makes sense. Yes, he will be filling in for Sean on Friday. 
In the end, everything I do makes sense, okay? (laughs) It just sometimes takes a while to get there. (laughs) Man, you're around the guy every day. I'm sure he's an inspiration to you. Yes, he is. In fact, he was an inspiration on this show. He inspired us to get Sean. All right, so... <laughs> so, should I give him an IndyCar uh, moment on Friday? Hey, no, what maybe an uh, IndyCar for Indy, Indy 500 preview. Because we're a couple weeks out from that, I think. I mean, you know what... I, he used to do that on the show. You know what I would do when he was doing the IndyCar preview? What's that? I'd leave and get something to eat and come back. 